Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this is your official source for a lack of insight and baseless opinion. Today is March 3rd, 2014. This is episode 67. Those of us, uh, those of you who are listening to us should be uh, listening to us at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can also find us at the baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. You can also find us on iTunes at Facebook at facebook.com slash BEVcast. You should also follow us on Twitter at Twitter at Birds Eye View BAL. You can also find us as a various uh, amount of areas, including Miro, Stitcher, Double Twist, Creamsicle, Lollipop, Scotty, Scotty. Pineapple Upside Down Cake. N- none of those places exist. I'm going to make the Pineapple Upside Down Cake one make, make, make it possible, okay? But I am joined here by my color commentator, my big boy. Jake English. Scotty, uh, I'm going to go ahead and make a plea to all of the listeners out there. Um, you know, we really appreciate you spending a few minutes with us every week. And if you could just go out to iTunes, hit subscribe, listen to the show. We appreciate it. If you, if you want to leave a note, let us know how we're doing. We'd appreciate it. Of course, that five-star rating is always appreciated. Five-star ratings but, are uh, fine. But just leave like a one-star rating if you hate us. I mean, we, that's perfectly fine. We take backhanded compliments better than anybody yeah, I know. That's exactly right. That's the, that's the whole reason we hang out together is because we give each other backside compliments. What's that supposed to mean? Um, it means I want to do something with you later tonight. I'm listening. Okay. okay. Uh, anyway. Speaking uh, about uh, doing stuff for us, why don't you uh, go on over to birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. On the side panel, there is an Amazon link. You should click on it if you're going to buy anything at all on the internet, whether it be blow-up dolls or, you know... Really, that's what you led with? Of all of the things available on the internet, you led with blow-up dolls. It's what's on my hot bar right now. If you want to buy anything at all, anything at all... I'm, all I'm going to say is the Brian Roberts blow-up doll is... 50% off this week. We're not talking about Brian Roberts anymore. We don't do it. Scotty, save this opening. Tell me, for the drink of the week, what you are drinking. Okay, I am drinking a Adoration Dark Winter Ale from Omegon. 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 Right. Out of Cooperstown, Cooperstown, New York. I've heard of that place. Yeah, yeah. I myself am drinking a Trogues Pale Ale, a little closer to home. Wow, that's... Again, pretty classy for you. I know. This is two, this <laughs> two, weeks, two in weeks in a row. I haven't been dr- drinking swill. Wow. Okay. So with that, Jake, I think it's time. I think it's time to go to the twat. I would love to know what happened this week on the Twitters. All right. So we had updates galore on inter-squad games, spring training games, and plenty of pictures of baseball. And God, it was amazing. We were so desperate. Everyone was actually desperate. The screams and you know cries and shrieks on twitter of just oh baseball is finally back was just absolutely amazing and we have plenty of people to thank for it we've got at mass and rock to thank for that we have at Brittany droli or at Droli to thank for that and we have at eddie in the yard to thank for that ladies and gentlemen thank you very much keep subscribing our twitter feed with plenty burly men in white, white uniforms. We love it when they're just touching their balls. Well, you know, we've we've complained so much about the fact that the offseason has sucked, the offseason has been difficult. It's so nice to actually see things happening on the field. Like, we have things to talk about on the field. We don't have to predict and, you know, forecast and cry into our beer glass. Balls have been thrown. Bats have been swung. There is baseball happening. Sure, it's spring training, but it's baseball. It's still baseball. So thank God it is back. It is here. It is wonderful. All right. Let me... uh, Speaking about wonderful. (laughs) Let me just say this. You know, we we had Timothy Lin, who was a translator for uh, Wei and Chen. He was on Twitter. And I happen... He was amazing. I happen to enjoy his tweets. Him dressing up at the end of the 2012 season. 
priceless. Not only what he provided uh, for Chen, but also his own tweets. I thought were were good. As you know, he's no longer with the twe- uh, with the team. But there's hope after all, because Justin Yu, who is at Justin Yu eight eight, does that mean he's like younger than us? I hope not. I think it is. I think he was probably born in nineteen eighty eight. Yeah. If you feel like an old man, that means I have to feel like an older man, and I, I'm not interested in that. Okay. Anyway, Justin Yu eighty eight. He's Sukman Yoon's translator, and I think he may be the new Timothy Lin. So everyone should go out there, follow him, listen to what he has to say, and more importantly, pay attention after Sukman Yoon. Trans, uh, tweets to see if uh, at Justin U eighty uh, eight tweets afterward because I know the spastics are going to love this but uh, I think we should all be paying attention to this definitely and that person that was really mad at Denise Lake for translating you should definitely be following Justin U eighty eight speaking about broadcast Masson made an announcement ending the combined broadcast for the Orioles and national games going forward so oh the- god the reign of terror is finally over yeah so it was announced by steve molesky at mass and steve that no more combined broadcasts would be had orioles fans will get their own announcers and that the channel lineup will be divvied based off of whether the team is home or away now this just makes sense all right this and we've complained about this every year the thing is is that both teams on every other day of the year have their own broadcast why in the name of god would they treat it differently when baltimore and washington play each other and the thing is I have never met a human being who actually likes the combined broadcast. You get two innings or three innings of this guy and then three innings of this guy and then three innings of this guy and and the Masson family unites and and they work so hard to fall over each other uh, with compliments and it's just awkward and stupid and bad broadcasting. Yeah, I've got nothing else to add here. That's pretty much it summed up in a T. Here's the other thing, and I don't know what... I don't know a darn thing about the Nationals broadcasters, but I know for the past couple years, it's been Mike Bordick and Jim Hunter for the Orioles. And if you're a Nationals fan, there is no way you want to listen to the Orioles B lineup in the broadcast booth. That's a fair point. I mean, Gary Thorne basically refused to go into that booth. Just refused. (laughs) He's just like, I'm not dealing with these (laughs) a-holes. I'm going to punch one of them in the face. I'm so drunk. Gary Thorne might. Drunk Gary Thorne might go in there and just punch him in the face. I am so relieved that the reign of terror is over. Yes. Um, further updates from spring training. One I wanted to touch base one was Henry Yodia and uh, Brittany Giroli posted, um, and you can follow her at Brit underscore Giroli and says, Buck had a stopwatch out during some of the intro squad games. Yodia singled and stole second base. He's gotten much better at that part of the game. And that was a big issue with Yodia last year on the base pass. Um, he came up and they're like, well, he can hit and, you know, he can play the field. Okay. But his base running is <laughs> So if you're is actually able to, you know, run the base pass, is that good, bad, who cares? Well, here's the thing. Last year, a lot of fans were depending on him to actually be something in that DH role because we had nothing. But we have Nelson Cruz this year. Hopefully, Yerudia doesn't make the squad because we have better, uh, better players that are going to make the club. However, if somebody goes down or when we expand those rosters in September and the games matter... Having a better Yerudia is excellent. It can only help the Orioles. And if he's going to be... Wait, a, wait, can we stop for a second? Did you just say, if we can have a better Yerudia? I did say that. Okay. If I were... Baltimoreans, get to work on this. <laughs> if I were the Baltimoreans, I would have a pun ready right this moment. Baltimoreans, get to work. You know the preparation is not my thing. No, 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 no. But Baltimoreans, get to work on... If you had a better Yerudia, what would happen? All right. Before <laughs> this goes any further, let me move on. I want to talk about Nolan Reimold. Okay. And Nolan Reimold's career in microcosm. Okay. Uh, at Masson Rock, who we've talked about in the past, he tweeted out today that uh, Buck Schalter made the announcement that against lefties, Nelson Cruz is going to see some time in left field, which opens the door for a right-handed DH. Very close to that tweet, he tweeted again, Nolan Reimold got sent home with a stomach bug. Is that not Reimold's career in microcosm? Pretty much. Opportunity opens and he gets hurt or his body lets him down and that opportunity walks out the door. Do you think it's odd that he was the only one affected? No. I mean, it, of course not. It, that's Nolan Rimel. That's who he is. Okay. Someone actually, I think, posted on it. I think it was Ethan Felderson basically said, uh, he said it must have been the uh, Taco Bell breakfast commercial that came out <laughs> that made him sick. I tell you what. I mean, I root for that guy. I think when he's right, he can be so 
powerful in that lineup. He can be a presence. He just can't stay right. And it's a shame because he was a legit rookie of the year candidate when he broke out. And after that, he never really has been able to follow up on that. And it's a, it's a shame. You want to know my opinion? What? He gone. <laughs> Speaking of uh, people now coming into the organization, there is a rumor, and a pretty strong rumor, that Johan Santana will be signing with the Orioles with a minor league contract. I'm, I'm sorry, did you say Johan? Johan. Because when, when I heard that Santana was going to sign with the Orioles, I was hopeful that it was Irvin. Johan. Okay, he's the not-so-good one, right? Well, he threw a no-hitter before. Yeah, what, how's he doing now? Um, well, Adrota Rubigas um, put out a picture on Instagram and basically said, I'm so glad to have the person I looked up to while growing up to, and it's great to have someone here that you know I can be a ment- he can be a mentor towards me. Um, that actually hit the internet and traveled at about 81 miles per hour at about the, <laughs> at about oh, the speed of geez. Johan Satana's uh, fastball right now. <laughs> so... All yeah. right. If the Orioles sign, all I'm going to say is I'm looking at Johan Santana's picture, and it looks like Turk from Scrubs. Okay. <laughs> so if Santana signs with the Orioles, what is this? Good, bad, indifferent? Who cares? What 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 do you expect? Um, all it says to me is a left-hander that throws 80 miles per hour can get a major league gig. Yeah, I just need to bulk up a little bit, and I'm right there. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. You need to bulk up, or you need to get your son to be a left-hander, and, man, he's going to make a killing in money. Both of my children have let me down. I'm the only lefty in the family, and I I can't seem to procreate another one. Well, you can thank the pizza man for that. (laughs) Moving on, and going back to the Baltimoreans, the pun season definitely has started up again, as uh, Jake had, you know, not prepared. Um, There's been a a multitude of puns going about in the air. the, this exchange started uh, last week. This First from, of all, I cannot believe that anyone is still following either us or Baltimoreans after, after this, this exchange. Yeah, I think we lost like eight followers after that. So at, sorry, it won't happen again. At, at B-Morons posted, favorite time of the year, every single team is getting the, if everything goes well, this might be their year articles. Hashtag hope, hashtag change, which perfect response, great tweet. tweet. And Brilliant then, as always for the Baltimore. Yeah, we decided to follow up with them and said the audacity of scope. And then we follow up with, remember in New York, they're shouting, yes, we McCann. Yes, we McCann. Which, again, absolutely horrible. Be Morons followed up with, in Seattle, they're singing, ain't no mountain high enough. We, we promised there would be no more singing. You're right. Um, and then the Spastics popped in, even though they're on hiatus or doing whatever they're doing. But they're still tweeting, and you should follow them every chance you get. They are funny individuals. And in Texas, they're saying, give Felice a chance. Not bad. I like that. But then the B morons followed back with, I think, the coup d'etat for all of us. And it said, also a woman's right to chew. Which, again, at that point... They won the internet. They won the internet, basically. So, congratulations, B morons. You have resumed your title of being the ultimate punsters. We cede this battle to you. The war shall be ours, though. And with that, Jake, I think it's time we take a quick break. Let's go and uh, tuck a little orange. We'll be right back. Baltimore, for many years, Fridays have been embraced in Baltimore as Purple Friday. However, where have the Orioles fit into this picture? Um, And again, you know, the Ravens have generally taken first tier in Baltimore for many years. But my question is, and we've actually raised this question more times than not, where's the orange Baltimore? Where is the orange? Well, one individual came up with that idea, and that's Nancy Cook, who was the founder of Wear Orange Orange Wednesdays. Um, And she looked to change that in 2012. She began this program as a grassroots program, and she wanted to get Orange out in the community. Nancy, welcome to the program. Thanks for being with us tonight. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Nancy, i got to ask the question. What are you wearing right now? Um, it is an orange. Okay. <laughs> Darn! But it's not a Wednesday, so that's okay. Well, it's really funny. Um, I generally wear orange every day but Fridays because I wear purple on Fridays. But um, this evening, I just happened to be lounging, and so I'm not in my orange at the moment. 
Well, you could have lied to us. We would have could have lied better. to us. Yeah, we're not on video here, but we're both. That's who I am. Sorry, I, I understand. We're both wearing orange here in support of the Orioles now in spring training. Um, Jake is wearing an Orioles jersey. I'm wearing some Orioles shoes, um, and I'm wearing an Orioles hat, and I'm wearing some Orioles um, undergarments as well. So, not to get too personal, but uh, that's what we're going I with was tonight. Just, hey, you know, I did forget that I always have on my Orioles socks. There you go. I was hoping you were going to say Orioles undergarments, or we were just going to get really, really personal here for a second. Well, not a not a chance, boy. <laughs> Before Scott goes too far down the line, let me ask you this: How come you picked Wednesdays as the day for your program? Well, to begin with, um, I am a retiree, and I was learning Facebook at the time when I came up with the idea. And what I saw originally was a lot of negativity towards my beloved O's, and um, I wanted to find a way to change that. And I, I just, the thought came to mind was somebody ought to do something. And whenever I hear somebody ought to do something, I know that means me. And so I started thinking about, well, what could I do and what could, what could I possibly do? And I just started using the idea of Corporal Fridays and said, you know, we ought to have a tradition of our own for the Baltimore Orioles. And, um, and I started thinking about days and what day might work. And I came up with Wednesday because it was hump day. And I thought that we needed to help the O's over the hump. And so I chose Wednesday. Yeah, it's very interesting to look at Baltimore fans. We definitely have a cynical taste um, in our mouth of how we respond to certain teams. Even with the uh, recent incidents with Ray Rice with the Ravens, we generally take a very negative connotation. But at the same time, we're really, really supportive of our teams, too. So it kind of goes to extremes where you can be cynical. But the next time, we will live, fight, and bleed orange and purple if it needs to be the aspect of supporting the teams that we were born and raised with. So I, I totally agree <laughs> with you. It's the aspect of... If you're going to make fun or you know hold something against my team, then by gosh, I'm going to do everything in my power to make you believe in our team. So I'd like to thank you well, for that personally. I'm also, what I think is, um, in, in my lifetime, I've been a cheerleader, um, really a cheerleader in high school, but I mean, emotionally, a cheerleader for my teams. And as a result, I also had family members, my grandmother. Um, who lived to be 94 and was historically an Oriole fan. And she was one of those people that would be sitting with the transistor radio to her ear for family's events. When we were um, trying to have celebrate Fourth of July or a birthday or anything, she was listening to the Orioles. And my aunt, who just recently passed, lived to be 86, was also a huge Oriole fan. So I think it's in my blood. And, um, and when I started to... Um, really get involved and do some research and, and realize I think there are kind of like two kinds of fans. I think we have diehards like my family that would listen to the Orioles or watch the Orioles, whether they won or lost and did for their, their lives. And then we have other fans who prefer to pay attention to winning teams and you have to win championships and you have to, to really show or um, compete well on the field or else, then you get all the negativity. And I wasn't raised that way. And so what I've tried to do was believe that when Buck and Dan were hired, that um, a difference was going to be had. And 2012 proved me to be right. We did become a winning team, and we did have a, a competitive team on the field for each and every game. And whether you want to say that last year was not a good winning season because we didn't get to the playoffs, I personally look at the fact of how many gold gloves did you have? And didn't you have the, the guy that hit the most home runs and the one that hit the most doubles and the one that had the best play on the field? And if I'm counting correctly, we got three gold gloves and one platinum. And we had five people, I believe, that went to the All-Star game. So that's not hay for me. I think that's pretty go pretty good. No, I definitely think that's pretty good. You know, you you put a perfect example on you out, and that's said you are a cheerleader for this team. Me and Jake, we're more of the band geeks that were out there in, in in high school. So we're we're normally the ones like with the tuba, and I think Jake would play with like uh, were you like a saxophone kind of guy or what? I was a trumpeter. Thank you, very trumpeter. Much. Okay, so we would go and take the field and try to get everyone riled up, and you know 
pepped up during halftime. So yeah, we're right there with you. We're just not the glittering, glamoury kind of guys on the sidelines to be the cheerleaders. We're just the guys that are marching around trying to start the cheers up in the stands. So, well, guys, remember one thing though: um, cheerleaders back in my day, we wore sweaters and skirts and socks and um, saddle shoes, <laughs> so we weren't glittery then. <laughs> That, that's pretty glittery for us, okay? I mean, we're, you don't want to see us. I mean, it's, oh, it's not good looking. But uh, <laughs> I tell you what, the thing about the Wear Orange Wednesdays is that anyone can take part. I mean, it's, it's not uh, really restrictive. Everybody can kind of celebrate in their own way. Well, I know that um, some of the uh, people were a bit um, concerned because it wasn't a casual Friday. And that with casual Fridays, you can wear your jerseys or your T-shirts. And on Wednesday, you may not be able to do that. And I think that uh, I had two uh, thoughts, and that was, depending upon where you work or what you do, make a choice. Because you can dress as professionally as um, our guys do on Masson, um, uh, meaning uh, Jim Hunter and Rick Dempsey, who end up wearing orange ties uh, to show their support for Orange Wednesdays. Or you might be in a position where, at, let's say, Under Armour, you know, you could wear an Under Armour um, shirt that uh, fits right into your workplace. Um, I know I have friends that um, have invited me to Hopkins, and um, they had all kinds of lovely ways of wearing orange, and we had great fun with uh, photographing it and trying to show to other people. Um, have fun with it. You know, make it um, your, I don't know, desire, you know, to find whether for a woman it might be a, a beautiful orange scarf or maybe for a guy it is a tie or a sweater or whatever. But um, I just think it's it's something that if you just kind of set in your mind, the one thing that I believe is if you know what you're going to wear on Wednesday, which is orange, and you know what you're going to wear on Friday, which is purple, it only leaves you a few other days to have to worry about it. That's right. I'm always one of the aspect right now, ever since I basically came across it, it's that fan fest. I was like, like okay, I'm going to take Wednesday and introduce a certain piece of orange flair into my wardrobe just to see if someone can notice. And it's generally got into a situation at work now where people will look at me and say, all right, where is the orange shirt you're wearing? And sometimes it's a tie. Sometimes it's cufflinks. Sometimes it's, you know, just an aspect of like, oh, look, your socks are orange. But it just kind of gives that additional flair of, you know, where, where are you wearing orange? And number two, let's talk about the Orioles since you are wearing orange. And I think that's the whole aspect is get out there and let's talk and support our team. I think that you have absolutely hit it on the nose. So let me ask you this question. So back in 2012, you started back up, and I know that you reached out to the Orioles regarding your your, your organization. I kind of want to get deeper into that point at this time and just kind of feel, feel out what exactly happened during that initial transaction with the Orioles. I contacted, um, I think it was their marketing uh, department, and said you know that I had this idea about Orange Wednesdays and wanted to know if they were interested. And they said, quite frankly, no, that they... Um, their budget was already set for the year and they didn't really want to discuss it further. And um, I'm persistent as I think you all realize. And so I went back at one point and I said, well, how about if you do this, like maybe just flash it up on the jumbotron, you know, on the Tuesday before or the Wednesday of it's orange Wednesdays. That shouldn't cost you any money, but they didn't want to play. They just didn't want to play. And yet, I think that part of the reason that the media uh, took um, and uh, uh, ABC2 News was the very first one to um, actually ask for an interview, um, I think the reason that they did was because the Orioles did turn me down. <laughs> and yet um, I'm starting to think that maybe they were smarter than I realized, <laughs> that um, maybe it's not so bad to have somebody start a grassroots campaign and see what we could do and um, what a community we really are. And um, because, after all, they just let me into FanFest within the last uh, month. And, um, and that was, from what I understand, um, really important for both me and Orange Wednesdays. And the Orioles couldn't help but notice that, from what I was told, uh, both by them as well as uh, observers, that we had the longest lines at FanFest. <laughs> Nancy, we were really excited to see you there because, and Scott and I love the Orioles. Don't get me wrong, but they have a they have a habit of of kind of shooting themselves in the foot when it comes to marketing and PR. And so mm -hmm. I, I almost feel like 
you know, fans and, and grassroots opportunities can almost do a better job of getting people motivated. So we were really excited to see you there at FanFest. Um, Both and, for you, but also for the orders of actually embracing a grassroots yeah. fan organization. It's like, wow, this actually makes perfect sense. It's a magic. You can't imagine and that. And I think the other part of it, it that maybe will help you guys is that um, the the once that uh, the Orioles um, allowed me permission to be able to be a part of FanFest, it also then opened the door to DNC. And DNC is the company that runs the concessions throughout um, all of Oriole Park. And as a result, that also then meant that Dempsey's Brew Pub could support me. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, at the end of the day, um, when we finished and closed up at FanFest, um, I took our banner from FanFest and uh, took it to Dempsey's where we were going to have something to eat and something to drink because it had been a rather long day. But they um, then went ahead and within a week's time had hung our banner in um, their restaurant now, very proud to see each time that I walk in the door on Wednesdays. Well, it's great. Like and like we said, we were thrilled to see you there because otherwise we wouldn't have found out about where on Wednesdays. And and Scott and I both think it's a great idea. We've both participated. You know, we, it's funny because we get our families involved. Um, you know, tell you a quick story. My wife works in a, in a city school, and um, the staff at her school got together because they were putting together T-shirts for their school that they were going to wear one day a week. The staff the staff decided to uh, have the T-shirts be orange. And uh, I think the principal wanted to wear them on Friday. And my wife raised her hand and said, well, haven't you heard about Wear Orange Wednesdays? We need to have this T-shirt, this orange T-shirt that says, by the way, go Orioles on the back to wear it on Wednesdays. And so now that's what they've done. That's wonderful. I, because I am a retiree from Baltimore County Public Schools, um, the, there are other parts of Orange Wednesdays that I haven't openly discussed but um, I really want to help the children. Um, we have a huge obesity problem across this country, but also in Maryland. And I'm hoping that we can get more kids out on the ball fields or into the park and watching games. And maybe then we can get them to be exercising more and doing things that are a little bit more um, uh, uh, phys ed type activities instead of with all the technology, I call it playing with their thumbs. And I'm hoping that um, we will be able to help uh, children and families. And quite frankly, if we get more people at Oriole Park for the 81 home games that they play, we also are going to be impacting our economy. And so it could end up being a win for all of us, for the Orioles, for the city, for our state, and for our children. And, um, and that's what I'm hoping for. And I love the, when the kids get involved. Um, Baltimore County Public Schools has um, offered to uh, sponsor or partner with us. And um, we haven't come up with a plan yet, but um, we have a small window of opportunity with our schools because we only have like two and a half months before schools close. And if we have any more snow days, it might even be sooner. That's right. <laughs> but anyway, um, I think the point is is that I want kids to be involved, and, and I would love to be able to uh, approach the Baltimore City Schools um, as well as uh, Anne Arundel County, Harvard, other places. I was, I'm hoping that this will spread um, statewide, quite frankly. All right, well, we got some rapid-fire questions for you on some Orioles apparel, so we need your advice. Um, me and Jake both... Oh, Lord. Me and Jake I'll both, do my best. That's all right. Me and Jake both feel differently about these topics, so you're going to be the uh, decider on these topics on who was right and who was wrong. You're the tiebreaker here. It's yeah, a lot okay. of pressure. Well, remember, guys, I'm used to compromise. That's but okay. I'll do my best. <laughs> we, we, we basically have selected these questions, so there really can almost be no compromise. All right. All right. First question, stirrups, yes or no? I think it depends on the player. Some players look good in them and some don't. Oh, she is good with she, compromise. She's good with compromise. Okay. All right. Let's let's take it this one. The bird, smiling bird, or ornithologically correct bird. Oh, I love the character bird. He's my bird. Okay. I, I see how it is. Okay. <laughs> um. All right. For men, bow tie or tie. Orange bow tie. Orange bow tie or tie. I, I'm sorry, guys. I like them both. Okay. Depends on the man. 
I was going to say, some men can wear bow ties and others look awful. Jake looks amazing in a bow tie. <laughs> I look absolutely horrible, so I'm going to go with the tie on this one. Um, okay, and this, is an, this is another one. Um, there's been several pictures posted on Twitter and Facebook of people wearing orange on Wednesdays. What's the best Correct. picture you've seen so far? Um, I'll be very frank with you. Just in the last two weeks, we've had a woman by the name of Cheryl. I can't remember Cheryl's last name. And Cheryl had the greatest-looking socks. They were black and orange striped with the character bird up at the top, and they were like uh, knee-high socks. Yes. And then she followed that up with a pair of um, Converse shoes that she actually built online. And what that meant was that she designed them from the um, tongue to the little tiny grommets, what color they were, to a racing stripe and a phrase that said, Oriole Magic. Well, you know, if I'm going to get those shoes, what mine are going to say. You're going to have it be Wear Orange Wednesdays, right? Or WOW. Or WOW, <laughs> yes, exactly. acronym, WOW. All right. Well, with that, for those individuals that actually want to go out and see those awesome, awesome-looking socks, I recommend everyone to go and follow Nancy at WOW Orioles on Twitter. I'd also recommend going and following Orange Wednesdays on Facebook.com as well. And Nancy... I hope you know this keeps continuing. We're going to keep spreading the message, get multiple communities and multiple workplaces out there to support the Orioles and wear some orange on Wednesdays going forward. Jake and Scott, I want to thank you both for the opportunity to share my story and the story of Orange Wednesdays. And I also want to do a shout out to um, all of the people who have come to like Orange Wednesdays because we've had such an amazing um uh, surge since FanFest that um, we're like 50 likes away from having 2,000 likes on our Facebook page. And we're really excited about that. We had um, a little over 800 when we started on uh, February the 1st at FanFest. So the more likes that we get and the more excitement and the more fans that we have and the more photographs that we get of the creativity, um, we're just loving every minute of it. Well, again, thank you very much, Nancy. We look forward to it, and wear that orange proudly, everybody. Thanks very much. You know you made me cry. I see no use in wondering why. All right, and we're back. We're actually joined by one of our uh, sister wife podcasters, if you will. Matt Lund is here from the BSR podcast, and we're going to talk a little bit of second base now that there's actual real baseball to discuss. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Let's let's talk some more of baseball, huh? It's so nice, isn't it, now that uh, that there's actual bat and ball being played. It's not uh, complaining about the offseason or, or thinking about what might happen. We we actually have baseball to talk about. Right. Uh, I just I watched the, the game on Madison the other day and just, just dreamed of, you know, sitting at the stadium and, and, and watching the team as I saw the team come back from a, a seven-run deficit against the, the Blue Jays the other day. So that, that was nice to see. And, you know, it gets you it gets you ready for baseball and and with all this crappy weather we're having in Maryland, man, it, it you know it, it hits it hits home that this is just about time for baseball to start. So it's nice, right? And after the frustration, I think that we all felt after the off season and the the elation toward the end that the the Orioles were actually making moves. I think that that segues so nicely into the fact that you know the Orioles actually started doing something uh, in the off season, and then the the preseason, if you will, started and something's happening. And it, it just kind of builds towards opening day. Right. And I, I wrote an article recently on, on com, just talking about these moves and, you know, what the Orioles could do to make things right and, and to get to the World Series. And a lot these moves are just, they have Birdland buzzing. And, and that's, that's really what the fans wanted all along. They just wanted the Orioles to make an impact and do it in the free agent market 
and and they did. And now they're they're trying to battle with the behemoths of the AL East, and they went and got Ubaldo Jimenez and Nelson Cruz after you know a couple months where it looked like the Orioles weren't going to do anything. They they kind of waited, gambled, hedged their bets, and ended up getting two of the better deals I feel really in the off season. So from that point on, it's it's all systems go. And now the exciting part is we get to see what Ubaldo Jimenez is going to bring to the table. And really a guy in Nelson Cruz who, in my opinion, has a chip on his shoulder and I think is going to come out, you know, pretty, pretty mad that he didn't get uh, the, the contract that he was looking for. So all positives. Hey, if he if he's powered only by the chip on his shoulder, I am all for it. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't want any other things helping his uh, his power. So uh, if it's a chip on the shoulder, I'm fine with that. Well, let's go back to that article that you wrote on Baltimore Sports Report. That's BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Everyone should go there and read it every single day. And we were talking about ways that you, well, actually you wrote about ways that the Orioles can get to the World Series. And one of those portions that you had brought up were platoon players, which I found very interesting. And the one position of platoon players that I think I'd like to talk about today, or tonight in this mm-hmm. case, is second base. And uh, let, let's just go quickly through the options at second base and give consideration to who might be of interest to us to actually get the Orioles to the World Series. Um, so the three options that are going to pop up in everyone's tongue are going to be Ryan Flaherty, otherwise known as Mr. F. Um, you've got Jonathan Scope, and you've got Jameel Weeks. That's Jamile. Is, Jamile. Is, is it Jamile? Okay. Jamile. Okay. As in, gonna, I would walk a Jamile in his shoes. I'm going to keep going with Jamil until he actually does something productive for this team. I'd, okay. I'd walk 500 Jamiles. Right. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a long interview. <laughs> Please don't do that. That's not a good idea. <laughs> but um, okay, so I think everyone came into spring training saying it's Ryan Flaherty's job to lose. Um, you know, I think I, right. we both, me and Jake, have both said you know Ryan Flaherty is going to be the second baseman for this team. There's no question about it. But it's been an interesting week for Mr. Jonathan Scope. Um, there has been talk tonight, even um, from Buck Showalter saying that um, from Mass and Rock, um, Showalter said Scope is very much in the mix for the second base job with the Orioles. Nothing in stone about where he starts the season, which I find very surprising. I'm not sure if that's Buck just giving lip service to one of his players, right. but really, what's the point for Buck giving lip service if that's not the case? Yeah, I just I don't see it being lip service. I think you know Buck is going to bring his 25 best players to Baltimore on opening day to face the Boston Red Sox. And if Jonathan Scope has a great spring training, he'll be one of those guys. Buck doesn't mince words, and I think he sees the potential talent in Jonathan Scope, but I also think he's not trying to peg him anywhere just yet because it is the first week of spring training, and he's going to be playing quite a few more games before the season starts and seeing some different pitching, um, some better pitching as the season gets closer. So whether the Orioles want to bring him up and kind of be like that that Nick Markakis kind of thing where, you know, Marquez had a huge spring uh, in 2006 and came up, or 2000, yeah, 2006, um, you know, and made the team out of, out of spring training. So um, whether they do that or they give Scope the job at AAA and let him, uh, you know, kind of seize himself down there, uh, we'll, we'll wait and see. But I thought it was very interesting comments from Buck. And, and look, you know, he is certainly still in play. He had two hits off the bench today in the loss against Minnesota. And so far, guys, he's four for six this camp with two doubles and three RBIs. That's all you can ask out of a kid um, who has really shot his way up, uh, you know, the uh, the minor league um, talent, so well, to speak, in the Orioles system. Well, Matt, I'm going to actually take issue with something you said. And I, I wholeheartedly agree with you that Buck is going to take the best 25 men uh, up to Baltimore. But I think where we diverge there, Buck's going to take his best 25 guys and he's going to beat the Boston Red Sox on March 31st. Absolutely. All right. So um, Scott and I have have been assuming that it's it's Ryan Flaherty's job to lose, and and I think kind right. of prematurely because um, the way spring training is going so far, I think that it's it's certainly clear that that's that's not the case. It's a wide open race. Can well, we let's, can let's we do talk this actually for a minute about Ryan? Flaherty? Yeah, let's talk about Ryan Flaherty. Let's talk about if Buck is going to take the 25 best men up north. Let's talk about why Ryan Flaherty may be one of the best 25 men to take up north with him. So the one thing I would bring up is Ryan Flaherty is extremely versatile. Not only can he play second base, but he could easily play third base in case Manny Machado is hurt going into the season. Equally so, he could also play outfield and first base as a super utility player. So Flaherty definitely has an incredible value to this team going forward. Um, Now that might have an impact on players like Steve Pierce, 
But Flaherty definitely should be on his 25-man roster. The question would be, is he the starting second baseman? Go ahead, Jake. No, is his value as as a super utility too great to keep him from starting? I, I think is my question for you, Matt. Yeah, that, that that is interesting because again, that's one of Buck's things. He likes a flexible kind of roster, and and what Ryan Flaherty brings to the table is a lot of flexibility. He's able to play three or four positions, and in a way, I think that kind of hurts his chances a little bit uh, of being an everyday second baseman potentially. Um, but it also could be a good thing if, if he goes out and has a great spring, um, then Buck's going to pencil him in as a second baseman because, um, you know, if you go back to last season, he struggled at the gate. Uh, the Orioles sent him down a couple of times, but after May 29th, he batted 276 the rest of the season. So um, his bat came around and I've always kind of liked his glove at second base. I think he has pretty good range. Um, certainly was better than uh, Brian Roberts towards the end there. I mean, you didn't see the, the range from Brian like we used to see. So uh, Flaherty brings that to the table, and and his his added value is being able to play multiple positions. So whether Buck thinks uh, that's going to be more valuable or if he feels that uh, Weeks maybe will be you know the utility guy of choice um, is to be seen. But uh, I, I agree with you guys. I think this, this second base competition is wide open, uh, especially since Jamal Weeks is off to a pretty good start as well. Well, do you think that Flaherty is the starting third baseman for this team if, in fact, Machado can't go on opening day? Yes, I, I, I think so. I think he, uh, you know, barring anything crazy from like an Alex Gonzalez or one of those guys that, that, that have just come into camp uh, as some, some fillers, um, I, I think Flaherty will be the guy at third base if Manny can't go. Um, I, I think he, I think he's good enough to, to handle the, the high corner over there, and he's, he's got the range. Uh, and, he, and he's versatile enough. So I, I think that uh, in order for Manny to be fully healthy, if that's the case, and he doesn't start opening day, I, I think Flaherty could could take the third base job for a bit until Manny's ready. Now, there has been an argument with Ryan Flaherty. Ryan Flaherty really hasn't been given a great shot just saying, you're going to basically be the second baseman, you're going to be a starter. For example, last season, he only had 246 plate appearances, but he had 10 home runs during that time period. So that has basically led people to say, well, if he was given a full season, he could easily hit over 20 home runs. But mm-hmm. my issue with that is you look at some of the projections that are out there. Nobody has him over 20 home runs. Everyone has him forecasted with stats of a batting average around 230, on base around 290, and, you know, an OPS around 685. You know, looking at those numbers, they look very pedestrian. Um, his biggest benefit so far in his entire career has been his defense, where his D war has basically been at 7.6, which is darn good for a second baseman. I, I guess mm-hmm. my question is, you know, yes, you could project down saying, okay, well, if he gets double the amount, then he would be, you know, really great. But the same thing could be said, well, if you give Steve Pierce that opportunity and you give him three times as many at-bats, look what numbers he could put up. Can we really look at those numbers over that's kind of a sample size and say, well, of course they would double. Or we, can we just come back and say, no, they're not going to be quite that good. That was an isolated sample size. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think when you look at the stats, I mean, it all it all lies between the, those white lines, you know, and, and what these guys do when they get out there. And we can make projections all day, and I mean, my, personally myself, I, I don't know if Flaherty could become a twenty home run guy. Maybe he can. What more is more important to me is his ability to get on base, and I think that is a big key for this lineup. Is guys that can consistently get on base, and we haven't seen that very often throughout this lineup. Well, um, is oh. evidenced by the you know solo home runs and two run home runs you know uh, that the Orioles seem to hit. Um, you know, getting on base I think is more important, and, and having that average, um, you know, maybe projected out two thirty sounds uh, a little low for me. But again, that's a small sample size. I think somewhat you know in agree with you guys that you know two hundred some at bats. Well, let's maybe if he gets four hundred at bats, maybe he hits two fifty, two sixty. Who knows? But um. I think his bat has come a long way. Uh, just We'll just have to see. Well, let's get away from Ryan Flaherty for, into a person that actually could get on base to a higher percentage. Let's go to Mr. Weeks. And, uh, you know, Weeks definitely gets a bad rap for me based on the Jim Johnson deal. But um, in the 2011 season, he did have a great outing. He showed an amazing stat line of a 303 batting average, a 340 on base percentage, and a 761 OPS. Um, those are some definitely good numbers, especially the 340 on-base percentage. Um, but, you know, in the past few years, that quickly vanished. 
Um, mm-hmm. But he did show a decent uh, on-base percentage last year in AAA. He had a 376 on-base percentage in 2013 in AAA. Um, that's pretty darn good and pretty exciting. So if you're looking for someone to get on base, Weeks could be that option. Oh, absolutely, and I and I I think that's really why Buck is keeping this as open as he is. Uh, is Weeks' ability to get on base and he bring if he does get on base, guys, he, he brings the potential to steal bases, and I think that's intriguing to Buck, especially after losing a guy like Nate McLeod, who uh, was able to get on base and and you know steal bases and get in scoring position for the big bats. Um, so he struggled in 2012, Jamal Weeks, uh, but. You know, maybe the Orioles uh, give him that breath of fresh air, so to speak. Um, you know, in, in going to a new a new team, a new town, and kind of recapturing what the town Jamal Week showed in 2011. And I think if if that if that happens, uh, you know, this team could be very dangerous. Whether Week bats at the top, you know, towards the top of the the order, if Machado is not ready yet, or at the bottom of the order, if Machado is ready. Um, I, I'm intrigued to see what we can do and hopefully Buck gives him every opportunity and, you know, we'll just go from there. Well, I think the key word that you used there was opportunity. Buck has said repeatedly that the one thing the Orioles can provide that other clubs can't is opportunity. The one thing that, that I, w- I won't say concern because concerns is, is too strong a word. One, one thing that I'm curious about is uh, defense, and that's something that is really important to Buck Showalter. Um, mm-hmm. Weeks' uh, fielding percentage has been 696, or I'm sorry, 969 and 977 with the athletics in the last couple of years. Is that good enough to be on the field every day on a Buck Showalter Orioles team? You know, let's hope it's not 699 because that wouldn't be very good. <laughs> Yeah, at second base, um, that's definitely not very good. That's Omar Quintanilla numbers right there. Listen, re- reading is that's not like, one of my like strengths. That's like Jose Offerman numbers, if you, if you remember the, the yeah. terrible years he had in the field. Uh, no, but to get back to your point, uh, yeah, uh, you know, even at 968, I mean, I'm looking at his uh, his triple A numbers uh, with Sacramento, and he had a fielding percentage of 968. Um, you know, I, I, I think Buck values that as well. So, um in the end, I think it's really going to come down to his his bat and his ability to get on base. Um, and if he shows somewhat, uh, you know, more so than all than not, you know, in in the field, I think I think he he could win that starting job. Um, but again, Flaherty intrigues me with his glove. I I do like Flaherty's defense at second base. Um, so yeah, Flaherty know, was nine ninety two in terms of fielding percentage last year. So that's pretty impressive. Right, right. Um, you know, so if Machado's not ready, maybe maybe Flaherty gets that, slides over to third base. Weeks is at second, and then and then we kind of go from there. Um, but uh, I, I do like Flaherty's defense. I'll give him the edge um, over Weeks just just because I like I like his range. His range factor is very good. All right, so now we're going to throw the major wild card in for the first week, and that's Jonathan Scope. Jonathan Scope, as you right. pointed out, was. He's having a blockbuster first week. He's easily the gets the Jake Fox Award for the first week in spring training camp. <laughs> um, so Scope Hummer twice in his inter, in, in inner squad games. He went uh, four for six, um, three RBIs. He definitely has the highest ceiling out of all the players we've already listed. Um, he'll definitely right. ultimately be a Major League Baseball player. Um, the, the question really is, what kind of impact is he going to make? In all projections of prospects, he's a top 100 um, prospect, but he's a borderline top 100 prospect. So he falls in and out of that 80 to 110 range. So the question really is, how good is he going to be? Um, and, and the other question is, does he need more polish? Even though he's displaying the ability to perform right now, could he use the ability to go down there for two or three months in Norfolk or even Bowie, for example, just to kind of get some finer honing of his bat. Again, last year he had a hard time getting adjusted after coming back from that back injury. Does he need some more time down in the minor leagues in order to see the ball better and to get also used again at that pivot at second base? Yeah, I think if the Orioles didn't have the options of a Jamal Weeks and a Flaherty, I think maybe they, they would gamble and just say, you know what, let's just give the kid the job and see if he can handle it. Um, but but I think Buck is smarter than that, and he realizes that he has options already here that could help this club. And let's remember, Jonathan is 22 years old. Um, you know, he just turned 22 in October, so 
he's young and he's, he is one of those fringe prospects, but I think he can help a ball club. I mean, he, he has good, he's put some size on. He's about six two, two fifteen or two ten, Um, and he's shown some pop with his bat. Okay. I'm going to give you a buck quote really quickly after regarding that aspect of he's only 22 years old. Buck said today, quote, obviously all the baby fat is gone and it looks like all the growth platelets have closed. Showalter said, John's in a good place. I think he had a very good role model. And as I've said before with Jonathan, it's a matter of when, not if. That's what we'll try to judge here. He's off to a pretty good start here. That's for sure. End quote. So again, he's 22 years old, but Buck seems to be of the aspect of, boy's not going to get any better. We might as well take a chance on him now because if he's not going to do it now at 22 years old, he probably ain't going to ever do it. When will he do it? Yeah. Right. When will he do it? And and that's, that's the question. It's, you know... Do, do we do we give this guy the opportunity now and see if he can take it and run with it, or do we you know let him get a little bit more time in AAA and you know or AA whatever the case may be if you, if Buck wants him closer, you know and, and maybe he, he tears it up in the first couple months and, and the Orioles have no choice but to bring him up. I think it's a very interesting um, conversation to have, and uh, you know it, it's just nice guys to to finally see a few offensive prospects that look to be panning out or, or, you know, project to pan out, isn't it? I mean, we're waiting for the pitching to kind of do that, but it is nice to see, you know, some offensive prospects have some potential as well. Well, I think going back to, you know, the potential of Jonathan Scope, one thing that intrigues me about him is that he has 124 games at the AA level, 70 games at the AAA level. And whereas, you know, he's been okay and and you, you define success in different ways at the minor league levels, I'm not sure that he's really shown that overwhelming success at AA plus that Dan Duquette prefers for promotion. I, I'm, I'm curious right. as to whether he's there or not. And, and the one piece... I think his bat will play at the majors. I think, you know, he's only had five major league at bats or whatever it was from last year. I, I think in that brief snippet, we can see clearly that his bat's going to play. I kind of look at it as, is he ready defensively at the major league level? Mm-hmm. And I kind of think back to Robert Andino. You know, when we were grooming Robert Andino to see if he was going to be a, sol- uh, a, a solution at second base, we were worried about his defense, and then he just kind of blossomed defensively and i wonder if buck showalter and the rest of the orioles organization are waiting for that blossoming from jonathan scope to see if he's going to be a plus defender at second base to go along with that bat before they bring him up yeah and that, and that could that could factor in it as well and could really be the the reason that they don't bring him up right now and they keep him at triple a um he played 50 games with norfolk uh at second base last year and only had an error uh in those 50 games um so I think maybe a little bit more seasoning there, uh, you know, 70 games total in Norfolk. His average wasn't nothing to write home about, 256 average. But like you said, I think his bat projects out as a major league hitter. Um, you know, but, but I think the fielding is really what the Orioles want to see, that, that he then becomes that complete player. And, and when that happens, the Orioles will, will know they didn't make a mistake. You know, scope is – what they want at second base, and he is the future. Yeah, if you look at Scope's projections, I mean, you're looking at, you know, a 270 batting average. You're looking at 15 to 20 home runs, and you're hoping that he gets somewhere around 320 on-base percentage because he does have a pretty decent eye in terms of drawing the walk. So you're looking at Melvin Moore for the next decade, basically. And the question is, are we happy as fans of having Melvin Moore at second base? Uh, I think we were happy having Melvin Moore anywhere on uh, that on that field uh, as he as he became uh, a, a complete player. I'm not arguing you this, know, the, but I think a lot of people are right. like he's the next Manny Machado, and I think we need to taper those fans' expectations of this is not going to be Manny. This is not going to be the expectation that you have. This is going to be an above average player at best. Right. Let, let's let's not you know let's not make. Taper your old uh, boy. That big, yeah, let's not go crazy. I mean, Manny is a once-in-a-lifetime player. I think he will end up being um, as we see him grow. But uh, Scope, I think, would be will be a complete player, and he's going to help this team down the road. And with, with the moves the team's making and, and the core players that are in place, you know, he just he feels like an Oriole that has been groomed the right way, and I, I think Buck's going to take care of him. And you know, make him into that, that major leaguer that he wants to see. And, you know, whether it's two months from now, three months from now, a year from now, 
I think Scope will be ready when that time comes. All right, so I'm going to do a roundtable final question. I'm going to start with you, Matt, first. Who is your starting second baseman for the season, and is there a chance that out of these three, more than one gets onto the 25-man roster? Are we talking opening day? Opening day. Yeah, I'm going to say Jamal Weeks. Jamal Weeks is your starting second baseman? Yeah. Okay, and uh, does another one of these players get onto the 25-man roster at opening day? Uh, I I would love to see Jonathan Scope break camp, but I think I think the Orioles ultimately are going to start him at AAA and just give him as much time down there as they can until they're forced, until they're absolutely forced. All right, to bring up Scope and Jake, what do you think? I, I think that uh, Jamile Weeks makes the club opening day. I think that Ryan Flaherty makes the club opening day, and uh, I think that Flaherty will be the starting second baseman. I think that Weeks will be there as the reserve infielder. I think that they'll probably give the Rule 5 kid the, the job at, at uh, third base until Manny Machado comes back so that they can try to add that uh, quality talent to the ball club if they can, stash him after Machado gets back. But I, I do think that uh, Flaherty and Weeks start out, but that we will certainly see Jonathan Scope before September. All right. I think that Ryan Flaherty will be your starting second baseman. And I think their third baseman is actually going to be someone that we don't even know yet because I think a trade is going to happen sometime in mid-March. Just have a mm, feeling. Matt, a, you can't see. I'm shaking my head vigorously. No, no, no. See, here's the thing. With the Casilla hamstring injury, I think that was their fallback guy. And I think that they're going to go out and pick up a utility infielder to basically replace Casilla. That's my, that's my prediction. I have been drinking a lot tonight, but that's my prediction. <laughs> So you're not feeling the Alex Gonzalez? Uh, I'm not feeling a 37-year-old veteran third baseman, no. <laughs> well, at least it's depth, right? I mean, we, you know, we, we, we want to the, see depth, and they, they brought it in, and, you know, there you go. Well, the phrase you're looking for is deep depth. Yeah, that, that kind of gets back to the whole, yeah, gets back to the whole aspect of with Andino. It's just like, well, we've got Andino. At least we have depth. So that that's great, guys. I appreciate it because, you know, that's what we need on this team is depth. Well, well, Matt, thank you for coming on and talking second base into the ground with us. Uh, You know, as much as we have to talk about with actual baseball being played, I I think that, you know, we've got pretty good options on the roster thus far, and it's going to lead to a lot of discussion before opening day as far as what the best way to go. And and frankly, if we're having this discussion about how many options we have, it's, it's certainly better than we've been in the past. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, there's been years before where, you know, th- there's guys that make the roster and you just kind of roll in your eyes. And, you know, it's exciting to see some, some younger talent, you know, trying to make moves on this roster and, and break camp with the team. And, you know, it gives fans something to talk about. And it, it's exciting as we get ready for the season, guys. So uh, I appreciate you having me on tonight. It was fun. All right, Matt, where can we go and follow you on Twitter, Facebook? Where where can we f- find what you're thinking about on a day in and day out basis. Uh, you can catch me writing on Baltimore sports report.com. Um, this Friday, I'll have a, an article out um, talking about who out of the Orioles lineup could be a potential AL MVP candidate this year. So look out for that. Ooh. And you can read all my ramblings and nonsense on Twitter. It's Matt C. Lund. And we should mention that Matt is also a co-host of the uh, Baltimore sports report podcast a a fine sister wife program on the baltimore sports report network matt thanks so much for joining us tonight thank you fellas have a good one you too All right, it's that time again. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly. As is customary, I'm going to go ahead and go first because Scotty is much better at this and I like to let him get the last word. So I'm going to go ahead with my good. And Scott, this week, my good is WBAL. That's right. The broadcasting partner for the Baltimore Orioles streamed the first spring training game on Friday over the internet so that I could listen to it at work. And though that is strictly prohibited during the season, I guess they made it an exception 
uh, for the first spring training game. So my good for this week was WBAL for letting me hear the voice of Joe Angel and Fred Manfra as the Orioles won a game and got back in the win column early in the spring. And you were able to listen to it, so huzzah. Yes. All right. My good is going to go to Nick Markakis. He has shown some great plate discipline and power over the past week, which is really encouraging um, going into the season. He's getting rave reviews, including from Rockabaco and Brittany Droli, and including Buck Showalter. So I'm eager to see if Mr. Nick, the Greek himself, can continue this trend. And uh, I'm not really so much interested in the long ball, but it'd be nice to hit some uh, some doubles. So, Nick, keep up the good work. All right, my bad for this week is, you know, this is so hard because we're dealing with small sample sizes here. Small sample sizes. And, and the other thing that sucks is that for the spring, people aren't really playing competitive ball yet. You know, you get the pitchers that are saying, oh, I'm working on one particular pitch. Or you see the hitters who are saying, oh, I'm looking for my situation. If I don't get it, what have you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Get to it. All right, my bad this week is Eduardo Rodriguez, a highly touted prospect for the Orioles. Two innings pitched. Four earned runs with four hits, a walk, and a strikeout. That's that's not going to cut it. Yeah, it's pretty bad, especially coming from your uh, second prospect uh, in the organization. So, Eduardo Rodriguez, you're on notice. Yeah, that's bad. Yeah. My uh, bad for the week is going to go to Egmar Escalona. Um, he had five earned runs and one inning pitched. It's a tough way to distinguish yourself from the other left-handed pitchers in the competition. I'm going to say is uh, maybe it's a good thing that Chris Jones resigned today. Is he a lefty? He's a lefty. Okay, I'm going to have to take your word for that because I have no earthly idea. We talked about this last week. No, that was De La Cruz. I know, but we talked about Chris Jones being released, and we're like, that's kind of surprising considering that he's a left-handed pitcher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jones is back in the fold? He's back in the fold. All right, good enough. Minor league contract. Well, good, because that's where he belongs. All right. All right, so my ugly for this week... You know, Scotty, usually I like to leave this this particular portion of the program to you, but I'm I'm gonna get a little geopolitical on you. I'm gonna say my ugly for this week is the Russian Federation. And and by the way, have you ever heard Russia referred to as the Russian Federation more frequently than the the Olympics on to now with this international crisis? When it comes to what's going on in the Ukraine, Russia is incredibly ugly right now. I have I have spent time in the Ukraine. I visited there in high school for a foreign exchange trip. It's an amazing country. The people are wonderful. And what's going through, what they're going through right now is heartbreaking. And it's truly ugly what Russia is doing as far as their military presence in that country and how they're interfering. Um, You know, not to get too far into Scott Magnus territory, but for this, this week, Russia, you're my ugly. Russia, you're on notice. Just, don't come after us. <laughs> All right. What do you got for me? All right. My ugly is going to be, well, it's definitely ugly. I think you actually agree with me on this one. My ugly for this week is going to go to cancer. And I'd like to go and point out that we uh, had a loss in the Orioles community over the past week. And that was with Monica Barlow passing away at the tender age of 36. She passed away with stage four lung cancer. Um, I think everyone of us has been affected by cancer in our life, but for an individual to be diagnosed with lung cancer as a non-smoker at the age of 32 and to pass away after a fight, um, getting out there in the community and bringing out awareness, um, both for um, as a spokesperson for longevity, but also just being so brave um, and still going and doing her job even up through this, uh, even throughout this past week. Really, it just gives you an aspect of how ugly, ugly cancer is. So, Jake, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm not going to rant. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to do anything. I'm actually going to remain silent for five seconds. I'm going to ask the rest of the Orioles community to do so for five seconds, just in honor of Monica Barlow. Thank you. So with that, Jake... I'm not sure I've ever heard you shut your mouth for five seconds. Scotty, usually you... You horrify me, you embarrass me, you you anger me with your good and bad and the ugly. Uh, again, I've got a patch on the back there, pal. Um, our, our hearts obviously go out to the Barlow family and to the extended Oriole family that were affected by this. This was just uh, horrifying news this week. Yeah, just horrible news. Um, Birdland, we will recover, but 
keep her in your memories again cancer sucks so with that jake anything else you want to get off your chest for this week yeah i want to go ahead and blow the so the blow the save with a familiar topic um let me ask you this scotty does brian mattis's two uh quote-unquote effective innings mean anything for the hashtag mattis for starter movement absolutely not 35 pitches 18 only for strikes two innings pitch two hits you can look at the box score and say oh he hitched two innings of uh you know no runs baseball please his pitch placement was terrible during that game 18 pitches for strikes just clearly indicates the inability for brian mattis to get players out you know what i think brian mattis is he's a lukey yeah, he's a Lukey. That's okay. We'll take him as a Lukey. So um, with that, Birdland Beyond, I'm going to wish you a fond adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.